Welcome to episode 195 of Keeping Up With The Joneses, where this week we're talking to the mighty Quinn. We are! Well, you're not. You said you're going to bail. I'm not. (laughs) Sorry. I sort of lied. I'm going to bail. You're going to have a nice chat and a catch up and I'm going to go finish my garden. Yeah. Speaking of catch up, we need to do our weekly catch up. But given we're actually recording this on a Wednesday and typically we'll record our podcast on a Sunday night. It's only been two days since we last recorded a podcast. It's true. So what interesting things have happened in the last two days? Uh, We just worked a bunch of hours and I spoke on Monday night. Yep. Uh, which I think went well, but you know, it's hard to tell when you're the one speaking. So I'm sure you were amazing. Thanks. Nobody threw anything at you. No, that's true. They usually don't though. Um, and then I put in my garden. Now in Britain, putting in a garden is very different from America putting in a garden. When you say putting in a garden, what do you mean? I mean a vegetable garden. Right. So yes, I have planted my plants in deep soil and tested the soil, and they are ready to grow now. Mm, I love yes. that. that. I've done nothing. I mean, I've done stuff, but nothing I'd noteworthy. I'd like to verify that. No, just kidding. <laughs> I have gotten further in Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, which is a marvelous platform game, if anybody's interested in buying one. Well, that's so fantastic, babe. Give me a break. It's been two days. <laughs> we had our first night off in a while last night, which was wonderful. We did, and we watched a movie. Well, I shopped for small trash cans for inside of the ladies' bathrooms. Instead of watching a movie. Well, I was sort of half watching and then half looking at Amazon for trash cans. The reason we're recording on Wednesday is because this weekend we're going to be in Atlanta ministering with Arise Life Church. I hope I said that right. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to be able to record a podcast on Sunday. So we thought we could think ahead. Yes. So it'll still come out. You know, this should be Monday when you're listening to this. Well, I don't know when you listen to it. Well, this will be released on Monday as normal. Right. But we're just recording it four days early which is great. But because you have this special guest of Mr. Quinn, I get to disappear and finish my garden before we go out of town. Right. You so. were just like, why don't you boys just reminisce and I'll exit. And we'll see if maybe you can get a boost on your accent. Well, we have completely different accents. So I don't how care. would that work? I just need some sort of, you know, some sort of refresher. Okay. You, even if you end up sounding sort of half Scottish, half Irish, like Quinn, you okay. know, you can, yeah. Good. I'll go. take it. Live your dreams. <laughs> I'm going to interview Quinn. All right. So, Mr. Quinn, yeah, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be back again. Eagle-eared listeners, which that doesn't really work as a <laughs> an example, will remember you. You were on the podcast last year uh-huh. with you some of our other year. students. If I'm not mistaken, it is the most listened to episode of all time. Shucks. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't just me. <laughs> but yeah, it was great. We were talking about you on last episode. AJ and I were doing our weekly catch-up, and we talked about how you were in town, which is always a thrill. And then I started describing you, and I was like, why am I, why am I taking time to describe you? Let's just get the man, the myth, the legend on, and we can um, hear straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. We've got eagles and we've got horses. <laughs> this is amazing. So you and I, I was doing the math, have known each other for about 20 years. Yeah. We met probably either 94 or 95 uh, yeah, something like that. Because we were we were both uh, just young pups. We were both young students <laughs> in Edinburgh. Yeah. Yep. And the interesting thing, the thing we have in common is we're both, as you mentioned accents earlier, we're both Celtic, but not Scottish, but ended up in Scotland. Dude, wait, you're not Scottish? No, my parents are Welsh. I know your parents are Welsh, but were you not born in Scotland? I was, yes. Is that what makes you Scottish? It's complicated, isn't it? But I don't think of myself yeah, as Scottish. Yeah, where you were born there, you were brought up there. You don't think of yourself as Scottish? You think of yourself as Welsh? No. I think of myself as a wannabe an American. Hybrid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't think I've ever thought of myself as Scottish, even though That's... I've lived in Scotland my whole life. But I've never thought of myself as Welsh. That's why I had to move to America. Mm, that's going to help. Yeah. Sort out that Celtic uh, identity crisis. But you're from Northern Ireland. That's right. Would Explain to people who might not be familiar the difference between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you got? Somebody asked me this question the other day, and I was like, Wait. Uh, well, Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. Right. Um, it comprises six counties, and the rest of Ireland is the Republic of Ireland. But geographically, it's on the same floating piece of land. That's right. It's the same island, yeah. Kind of, well, that doesn't help. I was going to say kind of like Scotland and England and Wales 
are all separate countries, but they share the land space. But that's a useless example because they're all part of the United Kingdom. Yes. Yeah. United Kingdom is an incredible anomaly of strange mixed up things. I mean, are you familiar with CPG Gray? No. He's a YouTuber who is, I think, American by birth, but lives in England. And he does these wonderful YouTube videos with stick figures that explains like the difference between London and the city of London mm. and the difference between Great Britain and United Kingdom and how Ireland fits, you know, and yeah. he's, he's very well researched and brilliant. I'll put a link in the show notes to, I think, the video that explains what yeah. we're trying to I do. I have seen one of those. It may well have been him. Right. It was, it was very funny and, 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 and thorough. And thorough, yeah. Well informed. It, I think I know the answer to this, but an, a Northern Irish accent and an Irish accent sound different. Well, they're totally different, but they don't sound different to people from outside Ireland that much, actually. People can't distinguish or can't seem to distinguish the difference. I guess that's the same if you're like a Californian accent, a New York accent, and an, an accent from Alabama are all different, but maybe uh-huh. outside it would just sound like an American accent. Uh-huh. But hysterically, they don't think they have an accent. But people here don't think they have an accent. Interestingly think- enough, most people think I'm Irish. In America, when they hear my accent, they're like, are you from Ireland? In fact, you know, it's not that good. In fact, <laughs> listen to this. We, you have some friends who are over for the conference yeah. who are also from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Their names are Ian and Karen. That's right. And they were shocked to find out that I was Scottish. They thought I was Irish. Really? It's because of my accent. And I was like, I, I would have thought better of you because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody who doesn't live in that country might be able to make that mistake. But apparently I had an Irish accent, which I... No, I refute I really that. don't. I refute that strongly. I wonder if listeners can tell the difference between my somewhat quasi-Scottish-American <laughs> hybrid Canadian accent and your Northern Irish lived in Scotland for 20-plus years accent. I don't know. Let us know. Anyway, the whole point was, <laughs> our friendship started 20 years ago. We were both students at university, different schools, but we met at the same church. That's right. I was trying to think about how we met, because I, I knew of you before I ever met you. You you kind of lived off in this distant land, socially at least, at least in my head. Okay. And I remember getting to know you, and you were, you still are, no doubt. But I remember thinking of you as this genius piano player, Thank and you. I and I Thank think you. I used to just come to your house and make you play piano. Is that true, or is that just my imagination? That did happen. Uh, you were teaching, you were doing teacher training at the time, and you were doing a placement, I think, at a school which is right beside my flat. You also had vinyl, if I remember correctly. I still have vinyl. But graciously, I managed to look past that character flaw. <laughs> Do you still have vinyl? Still have vinyl. Why? Why? Just sounds so much warmer, bro. <laughs> Does that sound warmer? No, that's bad. That's bad vinyl on a bad turntable with a bad stylus. Okay. Right there. We also, if I remember correctly, this is basically I'm having you on the show to correct my hazy memory, mm-hmm. apparently. We also had a mutual love of things being done well. Yes, that would be true. And Pizza Express. Mm-hmm. That's still true. And weren't we in the same home group for a while? Yeah, it was your home group. It was? I was in it for a while. Okay. Yeah. And then I left because I got offended. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. We actually. did have a home group, and then yeah. our home group got big, didn't it? And so we multiplied. We mm-hmm. split and multiplied. Mm-hmm. I, uh, is that right? I'm that's right. Vaguely yeah, remembering that's right. that's that. Right. And I went with a split. It wasn't a split. It was a. <laughs> it was a. It was a multiplication. Right. And yeah, that's that's how things grow. And then I jetted off to Canada. Mm-hmm. Two thousand three. Met AJ. Yeah. You came out for the wedding. Yeah. Then we reconnected on Twitter. Yeah. You came out to Franklin. Right. And that's that's our history, as I remember. Anything to add? Anything I forgot? Well, yeah. I mean, like, in the intervening period while you were in Canada, and therefore, in, I think I remember calling you every time I had a computer crisis. See, I, I remember, remember one. I remember one famous occasion when I erased my boss's hard drive. <laughs> what a really spectacular computer-based fail. And you talked me through it over the phone. Actually, you might not have been in Canada at the time. I don't know. I can't think you would have been in Canada if I was calling you. But anyway, anytime I had some sort of computer crisis, you you helped me out of it. And that was our kind of our point of contact and occasional witticisms via email or something. Right. Mm. And then I remember you coming over because AJ and I got married in Toronto. 
at the church at the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, now Catch the Fire, um, Toronto. Mm-hmm. I can't remember where you were on your spiritual journey, but what did you think about Toronto at the time? So just for context sake, Quinn and I grew up in an amazing church. Uh, I say grew up, but we spent our 20s and uh, 30s in this um, amazing church, in a church that filled with wonderful people who love Jesus, mm-hmm. who our main focus would be evangelism. I, I don't think it would be uncharitable to say it wasn't a church that moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit probably the leadership were okay with it, but there was real no real manifestation of it. That would be fair. And then I headed off to what was arguably one of the most controversial charismatic churches in the world. Yeah, you did. And I I can't remember where you were on that spectrum. Like, now you, you'll hear when audience, you'll hear as we were talking, Quinn and I share um, many of the same beliefs. But back then, what what were you thinking? Especially when you came out to Toronto, was that good, weird, exciting, odd? Like, tell me what it was like. It was weird. It was. It was weird. I mean, well, I mean, the actual the reality of it wasn't that weird. Right. Like, I mean, I was only in the church itself for your wedding, right? And then I think I went the next day for the Sunday morning service, and that was that was weird. I remember um, towards the end of worship, I probably enjoyed the worship because I always loved. I guess I always loved worship and I I loved music. And so I suppose that was probably the start of my journey was actually learning, enjoying spending time in worship. But towards the end of worship, uh, whoever was leading the service or somebody got up and was like machine gunning people at the front with the Holy Spirit. That would be Duncan. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I was a little bit offended by that. (laughs) And then... John Arnott spoke, I'm pretty sure John Arnott spoke that day, and he spoke on dreams. And so we ended up sort of turning to the person beside us and praying for more dreams. And and that just seemed like, can you, when, when are you bringing the word, brother? You know, right. it seems <laughs> you know so I mean? outside your grid for yeah, somebody to yeah, be yeah, preaching yeah. on dreams yeah. and then to activate, well, let's pray for more dreams. Never mind that dreams are all through the Bible, you know. Right, that I, part escaped you. Right. Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't an expository verse by verse Bible teaching, which is what I was used to. Right, and only I thought that was good preaching. Well, it is, it is good preaching, but it's but it can be part good of preaching. It. it can be. Yeah, it's not always good preaching. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so that was my experience of Toronto. I, yeah, it it was it was weird, but uh, yeah, and on on my spiritual journey at that point, I was I was at the beginning of you know I'd been a Christian for. I don't know, 20 years, mm-hmm. more than 20 years at that point. But uh, I was, I feel like looking back now, I was kind of at the beginning of my spiritual journey because I, in terms of things of the Holy Spirit, I was just beginning to awaken to that, I suppose. But uh, that was the very early stages where I wasn't sure whether I trusted it or not. Right. In fact, I was fairly sure I didn't trust it. <laughs> but still, you came. I mean, I can think of people who were at the wedding who might have thought of themselves as open, but they didn't come. They didn't go to the service because of that. Oh, they didn't go to the service, right? You know, so at least at least you came. At least you experienced something. Yeah, I was. But you told me I should. (laughs) That doesn't sound like me. You should totally come to service tomorrow. You'll love it. I was like, Alan, I'm not sure you know me that well. (laughs) Not for the first time. I thought that. Did you go to prophetic ministry that Sunday? No, I didn't. Well, I to be honest, I don't remember knowing that that was a thing. Okay. Um, looking back, I'm like, wow, I wish I'd known that was a thing. I would, but mind you, that would have freaked me out even more, probably. Oh, probably. So then, fast forward a number of years, we, you know, AJ and I got married, mm-hmm. uh, we ended up moving to Nashville, mm-hmm. we stayed in touch via email and probably social media, and then one day, I forget, I tweeted something, and you replied to my tweet with a spelling correction, which just made me smile, because, <laughs> I mean, I like to be grammatically correct, but you're I'm more pedantic. Well, not pedantic. You're more skilled. I mean, you can't be pedantic about something that's either right or wrong. Like, <laughs> there's no pedantry in there. You're either correct or incorrect. So I like to be correct, but you spotted it, and I just thought it was amusing. And for whatever reason, I saw that tweet. Oh, my, my I was just like, oh, Quinny, you know, because <laughs> we lived on the other side of the world, separated mm-hmm. by six hours of time zone, and mm-hmm. um, our lives had moved in, in, in different paths. So when I heard from you, it, you know, you have a very, very dry sense of humor. You're very witty. 
And so I, I really appreciate that. Your, your tweet was taken in, no doubt, the, uh, the humor with which it was written. And I reached out and I was just like, hey, Quinn, you should come visit. Mm-hmm. And I think we were in our first house in Franklin. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, you texted right back and said, are you serious? No, I didn't. You're oh, you remembering didn't? that wrong. Okay, this is why you're here. Tell me what happened. Yeah, I think, I think you said, you should come out and visit us. And I didn't reply. And then you said, I've just spoken to AJ. She she agrees. <laughs> you got to come or something like that. And right. I think I just let it hang because I was like, who, who are you to tell me what to do with my... <laughs> yeah. Really, really. So you just thought, hey, don't tell me what to do or, or unpack yeah, that. Really? Basically, yeah. So okay. I just thought that and it was just pride, really. And so I just left it. I didn't respond. Right. And then it was, I don't know how long that the, the, the process took, but I... I mean, looking back, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit just kept kept bringing that to mind, like that you'd offered for me to come out and visit you. And eventually my rational mind thought, wait, hang on, Nashville, sunshine, free place to stay, holiday, why not? Let's give it a shot. Where were you on your spiritual journey at that point? Um, I was I was moving along my spiritual journey at that point, so okay. I had moved on to another church, which was a bit more oriented in terms of the things of the spirit, right? Um, which is the church that I'm currently at. It'd been a slow burn for me, with, right, with the Holy Spirit, and I feel like He had been um, working in my heart and my life ever since you went to Toronto, really. And so I would, you blogged about stuff, and I would I would read about it and not really believe it, right? But I couldn't reconcile the fact that. I trusted you as a person yeah. and knew you to be a man of incredible integrity who heard from God or thought he heard from God. Right. But, <laughs> but who was I to say you did or didn't? But I, I I, could see that there was something in your life and that you were experiencing all these things that I wasn't. Right. And so, that, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, I was just afraid of it to begin with. You're afraid of the unknown, you know? Um, didn't know whether to trust it, but but the, basically there's this, this, this distrust of Skepticism. Skepticism of something new, different, right? away from my experience, which had been a long time at that point. Well, I think we've also all probably at one point in our life experienced what, what I call muesli Christians, you know, the flakes, the nuts, the weirdos. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. like, I, I think my parents, they were alive through the 1970s charismatic renewal. Mm-hmm. And so I think just, I never really spoke to them about it, but my assumption is that they probably saw good fruit and bad practice and alarmed by the bad practice threw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Yeah. And so, uh, just uh, because I know our history a little bit, we've probably encountered people who, I I guess we only have, you know, a couple of buckets back then. Like, okay, you're a good Christian, you're a weird Christian. And it seemed like all the weird Christians had similar experiences and I was probably moving into some of that territory for you. And I'm not putting words in your mouth, but maybe you were like, oh, I know this guy and I also think I know what he's experiencing, but these two shouldn't be adding up. Hmm, Maybe there's a third bucket. Maybe that's not a good description. I'm looking to you for clarification. Yeah, I guess that is. I never thought of it in terms of the bucket thing, but, you know, that's... I think that's a pretty accurate description. I just, I, I couldn't reconcile the fact that, you know, I, I thought that I knew, well, I did know you. I, yeah. I think, I think being part of your home group was significant because I saw you leading that and with leading that with integrity and just pursuing the Lord and seeing your heart for that. I knew your heart was for Jesus. So even if I thought maybe initially you, I thought you were misguided in it, right? Um, I could, I knew that your heart was good, I suppose is, is the bottom line. And then I saw that you were experiencing all this stuff. Didn't know whether to believe it, but I felt like basically the Holy Spirit was just constantly, he just kept bringing these things to mind. And um, I just had to acknowledge that either you were completely faking it, making it up, lying, Mm -hmm. or there was something more out there that I wasn't experiencing. And, you know, through a culmination of circumstances, including my father's death, I took some time off um, and started to explore other churches um, and just find somewhere where I now am, where people love spending time in the presence of God. And I found that a, a magnetic attraction, I suppose. So when I invited you out, yeah. clearly you didn't know anything about Grey Center because you'd no. never been and no, it wasn't on your radar. Um, so you come out mm-hmm. and we haven't seen each other in five years, six years. 
I mean, I'd been over to the UK several times, so it probably wasn't that long. Yeah. Actually, there was a thing, you know, so 2008 was when my father died. You and AJ were over and you were ministering at my church in Edinburgh. Okay. And I'd, and so this was, was a weird kind of, well, looking back, it wasn't that weird. You know, you just think actually the Holy Spirit, it was like a divine setup. But I had just taken a break from my church. I was visiting this church, current church, which is St. Mungo's. And I was enjoying being there because of their appetite for worship, their desire to spend time in the presence of God. And, yeah. and, and their ability to hold the two things, the Word and the Spirit, equally well in in terms of priority and importance. Sure. Which isn't always true of charismatic churches, you know? Yeah. So it was a good place for me to go to, having been brought up with, with the word, you know? So I was visiting it and um, I really hadn't, I mean, I'd only visited it for like a couple of Sundays or something. And then a friend said um, one Sunday after one Sunday evening service, hey, do you know Alan's going to be in town like this Tuesday? I'm like, what? I had no idea. So, and then I just turned up and you were um, ministering to our youth actually. Really? In our church I, building, you and AJ. I remember yeah. this. I remember AJ speaking on the Father Heart and also lying down on the carpet. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is weird. <laughs> but want, at that point, I was just wanting, like, I just knew there was more and I didn't know how to get it. I didn't know how to access it, but I wanted it. So that was 2008. And so I was still at my old church, but I was, I visited, I took, I right. took that like three month period or something off. Um, I was in charge of the worship team there and I just laid it all aside for a few months, just took a little mini sabbatical. And I basically spent the whole time at this other church, St. Mungo's, and, and really enjoyed it. And then I went back to my former church and um, stayed there for a couple more years before uh, finally deciding that actually I needed to move on. So you arrive in Franklin, well, I guess Nashville, if we're going to be technical. And so it's your first time in Nashville. Yeah. Talk to me about what happens. Okay, so I I arrive, I am jet-lagged out of my tree. I am, it's 10 p.m. at night. Our time? Uh, y- yes, I don't know what time it was for me. Whatever. 3 a.m.? Yeah, something like that, 4 a.m. I re- get a get a rental car, Yeah, and um, I cannot turn on Google Maps because I don't have the data, you know. So <laughs> so I, I had the instructions printed out, the directions to your house, and I proceeded to fall in pretty well until the final like turn off and then I just got completely lost and I was driving around subdivisions for a while and then I find your house and eventually find your house got it got there and and somebody answered the door I'm like AJ you look, you look different because <laughs> you're a babysitter yeah because you were at the conference <laughs> and then uh yeah and then you then you came back and rescued me and talk to me about your first experience at Grace Center then like because that was your first First time at Grace Center, first time at the Moore Conference. I think it was Gary speaking at the conference. It was Gary Morgan, yeah. So talk to me about that whole experience. I loved it. Which is surprising to both of us, question mark? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, I I was sufficiently along the journey by then that I knew there was more. Right. And I had experienced the prophetic to a certain degree. Okay. Didn't know any of the parameters, the boundaries, any of that stuff. But I I had experienced it and was beginning to sense that it was a real thing. But I hadn't experienced it in quite like Gary Morgan was doing right. in terms of the accuracy of his words of knowledge. And do you know what I mean? You would, uh, I was sitting in the second row, I think, behind you. And, you know, Gary would be ministering and picking people out and prophesying over them. And, you know, he'd be saying, and he's, he'd be moving over and saying, oh, the guy who looks like a quarterback, do you want, you want to stand up? And you would turn to me and go, he is a quarterback. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I just, you know, I'd never ever experienced anything like it before. So I was, I was just blown away. And every, everyone was so friendly. You know, I couldn't get over that. Everyone was so welcoming. I loved it. And then McClarney was leading worship, which is never a bad Well, it was thing. McClarney and Corey Asbury. So, you know, you had different worship leaders and I couldn't, I didn't know who was for the conference and who was your guys. You right. know what I mean? But yeah, McClarney was, was phenomenal. I remember that. And I remember, um, yeah, Michaela McLeod, as she was then, and so you just got dunked nuts. straight in yeah. to <laughs> to grace in her culture. Yeah. You know, the worship, the presence. Yeah. Ta- like again, what was your? I don't. I don't think we've ever talked about this. Well, I just, I just grinned because I felt like the Holy Spirit set you up with mm. some of the choicest wine yeah. in the kingdom. Totally. And I'm watching you, even back then, be really celebrated and at least from my perspective like people really took to you and 
and loved you, and you were just a visitor. I'm, I don't mean just. I mean you. You just landed. Nobody knew you from Adam, I guess. And but everybody seemed to love you and connect with you. Is that was that your experience, or was that just my? Yeah, it was. It was completely my experience, and I didn't know what to do with it because I wasn't used to being <laughs> honoured like that. But I, I mean, but I I put it down to mostly the fact that you were introducing me, and you were right a local celebrity, you know, in terms of Grace Centre, and so you know, I I put it down to that. I'm going to have to call my accountant and ask him to change my job title and my tax return to local celebrity now. So, excuse me while I go do that. I think you're an international celebrity. <laughs> yeah, you're confused. So that's awesome. So you had a you had a great time at there. And then didn't had we launched the school at that point or we Yeah, I remember the school thing because you played like a promo video for the school. Yeah. First time I saw it, I thought that's so weird. Just the fact that it was called the School of Supernatural Life. Like right. the word supernatural triggered all sorts of Whatever. Fascinating. Yeah. So I, and I remember, I remember thinking there is no way I would do something like that. There, or there's no way, maybe there's no way I could do something like that. Right. Which, and you were like, every now and again, you and AJ would sort of prod me and go, hey, you should come over to the school. I'm like, nah, I don't think so. So was your like internal cynicism uh, rising with that? Like what, like, talk to me about you, like your, your internal reaction to that. So you, you've touched on that a little bit, but. I'm just trying to wonder: was your were your protection mechanisms kicking in? Were you intrigued? Were, were you wanting to do it, or you just wasn't even on your radar? You just it wasn't under my radar when I arrived. I mean, right. I didn't know about I didn't know the school existed. I suppose right. Um, I guess I knew schools like that existed because you'd gone and done one in Toronto. Sure, but I didn't know. I had no desire to do it. Like, right, it seemed far out. So then, spoiler alert: you end up doing the school. Right. A what change between, you know, not knowing about it, no interest in doing it, and then, I mean, you made a massive commitment, I don't want to steal that story, but what switched between I've got no interest to eventually doing the school? It, it all switched within that week that I was in Tennessee that first time. So, really? you know, so to begin with, the first session of the conference, watching the video, no way I could do No way I would do that, perhaps. Maybe move towards, there's no way I could do that. Because, and it, so, th- to be honest, there was intrigue, there was interest, there was... It's just that you were talking about all this stuff like healing the sick, prophecy, I know, whatever else was, was talked about. Sure. And and I'm like, I have no good for that. I don't know how to do that. Right. Um, so I couldn't do the school. And then, you know, the Lord would sp- spoke to me and said, that's why they call it a school, Andrew, <laughs> you know? It's because you learn to do those things. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then, so I suppose it just piqued my curiosity and really... By the end of that weekend, I'd spent so much time in incredible worship and tangible sense of the presence of God that I wanted more of that. And so the school seemed like a way I could come back and learn about all those crazy things, which I was I was open to the idea of now. Right. And what a difference a week makes, oh huh? Oh my goodness, yeah. Totally. Now it should be pointed out for people who you know, who people don't know you, you were a young working professional like you had a career you had a job you had a house you had a car you had a whole life back in scotland you lived you know three and a half thousand miles away prior to coming out you had a full-on life you weren't, you weren't just wandering aimlessly looking for purpose you mm-hmm. had a career you had a job you had a really good job you were you know a qualified professional mm-hmm. and now you're thinking of well in order to come and do that you have to stop being all of those things to fly to the other side of the world to do a school, like, so, ha, I, because I know you, you know, you're incredibly responsible, uh, very diligent, I don't think it's an insult to say you're a type A personality, you know, you have things ordered, like, I would imagine that the news that you were going to do that would have some head scratching back in the culture you came from, perhaps from family, friends, at what point did it turn from a, I think I want to do this to, I'm going to do this, and talk to me about that journey? <laughs> okay. What did your poor mother think? My poor mother, <laughs> my poor mother met me off the plane, and we went for breakfast. And I said to her, Mom, I think I'm going to go back. <laughs> and she sort of looked at me and said, yeah, I, th- I thought that. Like, she she knew. I don't know whether it was because the way I looked when I come off the plane or what, but she's a spiritual woman, my mum. She's mom. got a close relationship with Jesus. Yeah, she does. And so she knows stuff sometimes. Yeah. I think she just knew that I'd been impacted and 
that I was going to go back and pursue more. And she never tried to stop me. Um, she was, I mean, she's not the hugest, biggest fan of America. Right. Uh, but she... Probably her only flaw. <laughs> but she recognized that I was pursuing more of the Lord. And so I think that actually, you know, she was delighted by that. Something had changed in my heart. And so I knew there was more and I wanted it. And so when I got back, I was dissatisfied with what I had. I think, I think it was just what I tasted over here made me want to come back and do whatever I needed to do to make that happen. So, yeah, I mean, I don't remember people being skeptical, to be honest. I think it was maybe maybe a little bit from my church family who, a little bit, not much, but a little bit based on the fact that nobody knew anything about Grace Center. Right. Um, I remember speaking to my minister to talk it through, and he was broadly supportive, and right. he knew you and AJ a little bit. Yep, from um, Toronto. Right. So uh, he was he was broadly supportive, but but some people were, you know, why aren't you going to Bethel kind right. of thing? Because Bethel, everyone knows Bethel. Sure. And I was like, oh, I could go to Bethel, but um, and probably be easier based on the visa scenarios. But um, this was the place where I experienced what I want to go back and taste. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm more of so. So that's, yeah, uh, I remember most people actually being surprisingly supportive. I mean, even just from the purely secular, like some friends who are not remotely Christian who were like, oh, you should totally do that. Like supporting the idea of just taking some time out and going and... So nobody yeah, thought you were having a midlife crisis. Oh, I thought I was having a midlife crisis. Because <laughs> you, you, you not, not, to, not to exaggerate anything, you literally sold everything you had to come. You left your whole way of life... <laughs> You, I just, I think it's amazing. Well, uh, well, let's qualify that. So I, I didn't give up my job at that point. And I, the, the interesting question would have been, if I'd had to, would I have done? And I think I probably would have because I was right. so committed in my heart. But I went to speak to my boss and asked him if I could have a 10-month sabbatical. And I'd been working there 16 years at that point, And he said yes, which surprised me. Right. Um, but Amazing. Yeah, it was incredibly generous of him. Um, and so that helped me because actually I knew that I had a job to come back to if right. if it turned out to be if if you all turn out to be fruit kicks you know right <laughs> I could just come back and carry on where I left off so right. yes I'd sold my house so uh, but you know I could carry on with my job at least I had that security sure in the bank um, so it wasn't a case of dropping everything. Uh, but it sort of felt like that as well. I think I mean? you're downplaying your level of <laughs> sacrifice. I don't know. The thing is, when you're following the Lord, sacrifice is on, you know, it's objectively on paper to sacrifice, but it doesn't feel like it when you're no, following the Lord. It doesn't at all. And the rewards you get from following the Lord far outweigh anything you sacrificed. Absolutely. So I, 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 get, what you're, I get what you're feeling, but like my observation was, Dang, Quinn, like, well, you know, way to jump in. Because you came out in, what, May? And then you were back in September? Yeah, that's right. That's a, fa- yeah, that's a fast... It was a quick turnaround. Turnaround. But, the, but the, again, God, you know, it was, that was a little kind of, you know, you put things out, in the, out, out there to test whether or not it's of the Lord. And, you know, knowing that he would open doors, I guess, you know, I tasted enough, or I'd know... I knew enough about the goodness of God to believe that it was a real thing and that he was a good father. I mean, I didn't have a fully formed idea of that really, but I I was getting there. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I think I trust the Lord to open the doors to make this happen if if it if it if it's right, if it's if it's his will, right. know, which is so this is the way I saw things very much at that point. So so yeah, I mean, I like I I put the house on the market. Um uh, I had some good friends, you know, I had some good friends who came around and cleaned my house for me and just, you so, know, got they're it. They're the best friends. Oh, they are. Yeah. And I and I got it on the market and it sold quickly, uh, you know, that was, so that was, I mean, the housing was in a bit of a downturn at that point. So I w- was not confident that it would sell quickly. And if it had been like four years earlier, I could, you know, I knew I could have sold my house really fast. Right. And But the housing market in Edinburgh was not in a great shape at that point. And um, yeah, it's it sold it sold quickly. And then your boss, of course, giving you your ten month leave of absence. Yeah. So things are lining up. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So you get here. Yeah. 
you're clearly not skeptical anymore because you, you've you've put momentum behind your decision mm-hmm. and you're here and then you spend eight months in the school. It's going to be impossible to describe what that was like, but so you know, tell me whatever pops in your head. You're eight months in school. What 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 did what do you remember? Gosh, I mean, I remember very early on thinking this is the best decision I've ever made in my life. Oh, very early on. But it just I was just in a I just walked into this community. There was like forty five of us or something in the school that year, maybe forty five, fifty, something like that. And everyone just was so lovely. And so there was that, but there was just I you know, I mean it's 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 said often about the school is it's like drinking from a fire hydrant, you know? There's just the amount of revelation and incredible teaching from yourself and AJ and all of his Dean speakers that you bring in. It was just all, most of it was new to me. All the inner healing stuff, the father heart stuff that I'd, I'd sort of heard before, but there's a difference between hearing a teaching on the father heart and marinating in it for actually for a year, to be honest, because I mean, the father heart, there's a father heart week where you get six hours of teaching or something on it, plus soaking and whatever else. But I think what struck me looking back on the school is that the father heart message and the idea of our identity as sons and daughters not having to strive for his attention and him being a very, very good father and, you know, loving us, loving loving us well, loving to bless us, loving being for us, not having to try and convince him of things, but, you know, being for us. That permeated the school from day one till the end. And, and the church culture was the same. So, it was it was the permeation of of through the year of the Father Heart message that really touched me. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was many many things, but that was the thing that really struck me. And learning learning to see myself as a son, not as a servant, was huge. I was big on serving. I loved serving. Still still love serving, but it was from a place of trying to please my heavenly Father and trying to try and. I I, I grew up, or I accumulated along the way a belief that my Heavenly Father was always a little bit disappointed in me. And I worked from that place constantly. So I knew in my head, my theology was pretty excellent, if I do say so myself, that <laughs> that I didn't have to strive to get God's attention, that I couldn't earn His favor, right. forgiveness. All of that was a free gift through Jesus, but but I wasn't living that out. You know, at the back of my head, I always, or at the back of my heart, I always felt like he was slightly disappointed in me because I wasn't quite good enough. And so I would continually strive to be better. And it felt like growing up, that was the message that came through in church mostly was you need to be a little bit better. You need to try a little bit harder. You're not quite good enough at this. You need to, you know, you you could be better. Why aren't you a little bit better? And so yeah. Man, that suffocates life out of you, doesn't it? It does, gradually over a long period of time. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And then to have the revelation that God is for you, not against you, that you're his favorite, you're the apple of his eye, that, you know, he's, I mean, it's, it's the revelation of God's love and the kindness of God mm. is the best kept secret in the church. Mm-hmm. But I'd heard it preached on, but it's just, I think, but I feel like, Mostly it was preached on in evangelistic services. Right. So non-Christians. They get you know, a nicer God. Oh, they do. Yeah. Um, once And then once you're over the threshold and you've become a Christian. Let's talk about all the stuff that you owe him. And let's <laughs> let's start paying back your debt, okay? Right. But, I mean, that's not overtly said. No, no. It's by osmosis. Right. It's, it's the kind of undercurrent. And over here, the teaching, your teaching, and the teaching in the school, and the teaching in the church had a different emphasis. It was like, rather than you should be a little bit better, it was like, here's Jesus. Here's the Father. Here's what they're like. Here's what life with him can be like. Do, do you want that? You know, it was like presented to you to, as an option. Right. Even when you, when you teach in particular, I've noticed that you use the phrase, I would like to suggest that. Something like that. It's like you're, you're putting out an idea there for people to reject or accept right. and embrace if they want to yeah. and, and it remains their choice whereas 
a lot of the teaching and preaching that I'd heard was very much, you need to do this. Right. It was declarative rather than invitational. Yeah. So you're here, you're part of a church, you're at a school, you have an amazing community of people. Yeah. What what is your heart feeling about the culture you've left behind? Because you know that's that's a big deal. You're on the other side of the world. Your former life that you've known for thirty and a bit years is back there. Mm. Are you giving any thought to that, or are you just one hundred percent focused no, on here? I was just, I was just, I was just all here. I was like present here. Biscuits, sweet tea, <laughs> Chick Fil A. It's yeah. a promised land. Yeah, I put on an extra twenty pounds, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just, I just forgot about it for a season. I, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just, but I, and I think that that's a great way to do things. Like I've always believed that if you move somewhere, even if it's just for a period of time, a short period of time, I want, I always want to be present where I am, right, rather than hankering to be somewhere else, right. And so, I am personally quite grateful so when i came over to the school i was the only foreign student mm-hmm. barring maybe a canadian or two i don't know but but basically i was i was the first person to come across and so and in my year for sure i was the only sure. non-american and so that made me a bit of a, a freak show and a bit of a novelty i suppose but i was i love just immersing myself in american culture and not not gathering together with other brits and because there can be a lot of like if you if I was if I was to do this with a group of Brits, I, I feel like you know we maybe sit down and go, oh, I didn't. Oh, this is what I hate about American culture. Do you know what I mean? Right. Whereas I didn't have that opportunity. I was just with Americans all the time, and so I just I just forgot about it and just just embraced it, embraced it as best I could, and I loved it. The joy of of running a school, as you know, because we'll talk about your school in a second. Mm-hmm. But the joy of running a school is watching transformation happen, watching people get transformed. And every year we we think and we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit who we ask back for next year to come and help staff the school. So yeah. it's a glorious thing because the people who've just been transformed are the most eager to see transformation on the people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so we're praying, and of course you were on our radar, not just because we've known you, I mean, universally you were loved. And to this day, this is why we were kind of joking, you, were, you mentioned it was a novelty. It can't be a novelty six, seven years later, right? Because <laughs> every time you come, you're loved, you're celebrated, uh, which I think is amazing, which is, which is, is glorious. <laughs> but at the end of the school, you know, we all wanted to keep you, but there was a sense of like, uh, oh, you know, that seems unfair. Like, hey, Quinn, we know that you put your life on hold. We know you've got your career waiting for you when you go back. Uh, would you like to come and volunteer? Uh, you know, we can't pay you, and you'd have to sort out all your own housing. And, uh, you know, on, on paper, it's a really bad deal. Mm-hmm. Would you like to come back and just volunteer for us for free? Mm-hmm. And by the way, you're going to have to figure out how to survive because legally uh, and financially, we, we can't pay you. So, and we almost decided not to. We just thought that's an imposition, that's an unfair thing. And then one of our staff was just like, hey, you pre-deciding on Quinn's behalf is actually a violation of everything we teach. And I was like, oh yeah. Like we actually spent a year training people to be powerful, to manage their yes and their no. And we're like, we we are out of the goodness of our heart pre-deciding that you can't do something without ever presenting it to you. And so... We just went to you and you said, Quinn, would you consider coming back um, for another year? Talk to us about that, because you've already made a sacrifice, but now you've already made a sacrifice on your terms. Like, Mm -hmm. I would like to go do this. This is what it's going to cost me. Mm -hmm. Now it feels like you're making another sacrifice based on a a request from us. Mm -hmm. At least that's one way of looking at it. What was it like for you when we were like, would you come back and be staff on the school? Oh, I mean, I was hugely honoured. I mean, and uh, I mean, there was no question in my heart that I wanted to come back because it had been the, by far the most transformational eight months of my life. Best decision I ever made. I still say that. And just think, your cynicism could have kept you from that. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying that to well, shame my you. Cynicism I'm just had mostly gone by then. I would say. I know, but like when you first came out and you were dismissive of the school video, and right. I mean, something in your heart allowed you to be warm to the idea. But you could have just tunkered down, and be like, Americans, look at this charismatic. I mean, you could have been hard-hearted and never come. Mm-hmm. And and yet, the Holy Spirit worked on your heart. You said yes, whatever. And you'd had this, it just makes me think, what do I miss out on 
because I've prejudged an experience because it doesn't fit within my paradigm. That's, that's that, you know, that's my teaching thing I'm throwing out. But anyway, okay. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You are like, I'd be hugely privileged. That's that's amazing to hear. I mean, you know, the school is just, the school was just the best experience I ever had. So why would I not want to come back again? And sure, there were some practical logistical things to overcome. <laughs> like eating, know. paying rent. <laughs> love, yeah, yeah. Roof over my head. Visas. I mean, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you asked me, well, you very kindly asked me early enough. I think a, a little me and maybe one or two others just, you, you were conscious of the fact that I needed to make a decision uh, maybe before before I went home. Correct. The and cost so, of you making that decision was far larger than a US citizen making that decision just because of the logistics behind it. So you're right. Yeah, you, we did. We gave you heads up because we were thinking you need to think and pray and you've, you've got stuff, you've got a life to manage back in Britain. Yeah. Um, but bottom line was I wanted to come back. And so it, it was just... And it felt it felt to me like I wasn't done yet, you know. And so, I loved the idea of coming back and staying in the, just basically just staying in the culture, just staying in this place for another another year, ideally. But there were some obviously there were some practical considerations. I had taken ten months off work, and so I didn't know how that was going to play out. <laughs> I like, hey boss, hey boss, can I have another ten months off? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I emailed him and. He very graciously, you know, to say, you know what, I'd really love to come back, but it would <laughs> it'd really be helpful for me if I could work over the summer for you, if you would like that. Um, and he graciously replied and said, yes, um, basically what you're asking, you know, basically you're asking to quit. But keep working and get paid. That's fine. Well, <laughs> yes, I'm going to quit. But would you mind just hiring me for another three months at least? And he said, yeah, I'm happy to, happy to hire you through the summer at your normal salary. Which is amazing. It is amazing. It's it was very, very kind and gracious of him. Yeah. He was probably prepared for the fact that I wasn't going to come back. Right. Um, so I think probably it helped him actually, me working through the summer and allowed him to maybe put some plans in place for, for replacing yeah. me. But yeah, so I, I went back and I worked I worked for three months and then came back back in again. So I want to pivot a little bit. So you come back, you do another year, this time as staff. Uh, we were thrilled to have you. You're a phenomenal leader. It would be our dream to keep you, which I'm sure we mention every time you come and visit. Uh, but then you went back to Scotland. Talk about re-entry, because one of the things that we've worked really hard at doing is minimizing the bubble effect. So, for example, one of the things we do at our school is we ask people... Our school only runs Mondays and Tuesdays, so the, the idea is the rest of the week, people still have a job, they can put into practice what they learned on the Monday and Tuesday yeah. in their job. And, uh, you know, we we try and teach the things that we're teaching on the school to help your life, not just for people who want a job in a church. Mm-hmm. So you're literally, you're not just leaving our culture, Graysoner's culture, the School of Supernatural Life culture, you're leaving Southern culture, American culture, and you're going back to Britain. Talk about re-entry and how you found that season? Re-entry was hard. I remember my minister sitting down with me when I was talking about coming over here for the first year, and he said, re-entry is really hard. And I was like, ah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine. I'm not going to listen to that. Um, I came back and re-entry was really hard. He was was right. Um, And, you know, one of the things is that school stirs up a whole lot of stuff in you. I mean, it brings all kinds of things to the surface, which you get sure. dealt with. But it also brings up good stuff. So it it brings up dreams, for example. It can bring back dreams that you've maybe put aside because you felt like, you know, God, you know, I just need to follow God's will, whatever that thing is, and he's not interested in what I want, and I need to lay down everything that I want in order to follow him. Now, there's a certain truth to that, but at the same time, um, a lot of what is it, uh, what I learned was that a lot of what was in my heart and my, the dreams that were in my heart were actually ones that he'd put there. Maybe not 100% of them, but a lot of them. Right. And so, because that's the way he'd made me. So, um, you get that sort of stirred up, and then not always, like straight after school, do those dreams come to fruition. And maybe, How about that? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and logically, you look back and think, well, of course they don't. Right. But uh, when you're in that bubble, uh, which it is, and I know you try to minimize sure. it, but it is, um, you can build up your expectations of what your life is going to look like. And I think most people think they're going to, well, I don't know this is true. I think some people think they're going to be propelled into a life of full-time ministry, like as soon as they walk out the door. And that doesn't happen. Or, doesn't happen for everyone. 
for me, what was absolutely amazing was that I came back, and even before I'd left the States, um, Neil and Joe Thompson, who are now my directors at ESST, the Edinburgh School of Supernatural Transformation, they had contacted me, and they knew knew me a little bit from beforehand because they went to the same church, St. Mungo's, um, and they had just started a school of ministry. They had just finished doing two years at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, come back and started a school attached to St. Mungo's called the Edinburgh School of Supernatural Transformation, and they invited me to come and be a part of that as part of the leadership team, which was astonishing because they didn't really know me. I mean, they they kind of knew me, but we, we didn't really know each other. Right. So they knew I'd had an experience. They didn't know anything about Grace Centre, but Joe had journaled and got my name <laughs> and she'd asked the Lord about it and he seemed to give a, give her a thumbs up. And so, so they invited me onto the leadership team. So from that summer, returning in that summer, I was involved in another supernatural school where I got to I suppose, give away, you know, much of what I'd been given. Right. Um, and that's, that was amazing. So let me recap for yeah. people who are listening. While you're doing school over here in Nashville, yeah. there's a couple at the same church that you're from, St. Mungo's, mm-hmm. Neil and Joe, they are at Bethel. They do two years at Bethel uh, School mm-hmm. out in California. They come back to Edinburgh. After their experience there, they're like, man, we want to start our, uh, a school you know, obviously influenced by what they've learned out of Bethel, they want to give it away. So they, while you're over here, they started a school called the Edinburgh School of Supernatural Transformation. That's right. And you come back, having done a school, thinking, man, what, what, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to you, the Lord's put you on their heart. Yeah. And so you get back and they're like, hey, we started a school and we'd love you to be a part of it. Yeah. I mean, did that scratch some of that itch for you of like, ah, I've been given a ton of stuff and I, I, I want to be able to give it away? Yes, it did. But to begin with, it was difficult because it didn't look like how I thought it would. Right. Or should. Or right. it didn't look like SOSL. Right. You know, which it shouldn't, of actually. Course. Um, but that's, I suppose, that's a hard lesson to learn, or that was a hard lesson for me to learn. When you've been somewhere which looks a certain way, like to the School of Supernatural Life, for example, which looked a certain way, you did certain things in a certain order, uh, you know, you prioritized certain things. Um, and that school has been so transformational to me, then I am naturally going to expect every school to look like that. Right. And they had been at Bethel, which of course was a bit different to SOSL to begin sure. with. But also, you know, our school runs every second Saturday. And therefore, you just don't have the same amount of time to deal with the same sort of subject. That's really good. I was just thinking about Matt Kraushorn, who's one of our pastors at SOSL. He was talking to me this week, and he was talking about how exactly what you're saying, that we we get into a framework where God meets us in a certain way, and we think, just just by the way we're wired, that God needs to keep meeting us in that way, or our needs will not be met. Yeah. And he's talking about how the subtlety of idolatry creeps into the church, uh-huh. the way we like our worship, or the version of the Bible, or uh-huh. and and so you know you're describing that beautifully, not understanding that God's way more creative, right? And different cultures, different times, different seasons need different things. So it was amazing that you recognized that. How long did it take you to recognize? Uh, my nose is needlessly out of joint here. Uh, <laughs> Longer than you'd like to admit? Yes. Uh, I mean, maybe 18 months. Wow. No, not quite. Let me tell you how it happened, actually. So I I'd go, I went through that first year with the SST, and I didn't know which way was up because their teachings were different to your teachings. But actually, there's a the end result is much the same in that people right. get transformed and they get their identity sorted out as to who they are. So... Um, at the end of that first year, I was, uh, this, I mean, recognizing the fact that this was good, this was a good thing, and I was really happy to be part of it, but I was still struggling with the fact that it didn't look the way I thought it should, you know? And then in the fall of that year, I came back here for a conference, and I sat in the class of year two, just for the morning session, and you were teaching on spiritual fathers and mothers, I think was the sort of overriding topic. But in that, you made a point of reinforcing something that I'd already heard you say during the school, I feel like I did anyway, but of um, the importance of surrendering 
your own vision and submitting to the vision of your leaders in the season of life that you're in, whoever those leaders are. Right. And I was convicted. <laughs> I was sitting there going, oh my goodness, that's what I'm not doing. Um <laughs> It was, but it was, it was such a, it was, it was a hard lesson to hear. I mean, I remember sitting and talking to you and AJ and, and sharing that and AJ going, Hey Quinn, when you have your own school, it can look like SOSL if you want it to, but <laughs> if you're in Neil and Joe's school, it's going to look like how they want it to look. I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's a really obvious lessons, but you know, it's it's the difference between learning these things and kind of sat and listen, listen to you talking about the importance of submitting the vision of your leaders and going yes that's right right um, and then the the difference between that and uh, uh, the theory of it and the practice of it is quite quite something yeah um, and as as I was saying to you you know it's easy to submit to the vision of your leaders if you uh, are hundred percent alignment with the way they're doing everything right and when you're when you don't think they're doing it quite right then that's harder. Right. Now they were, I, I cannot say they were not, not doing everything right. It's just that they weren't doing it the way I expected them to. So I, I went back and, and confessed that to them. And we, we didn't start afresh, but it was like, a, it was a, it was a new chapter. Right. They had already given me a lot of favor in the school. You know, I was, they'd already asked me to teach on one or two things and, and that increased um, as time went by. And it, it's become, uh, I've learned that submitting to their vision has been a gloriously, it brings a lot of freedom. Right. I think that's amazing. So that's, uh, you know, what you were saying before, it's easy to submit to your leader's vision when it's what you want. There's actually no submission in that part. No, that's right. That's called getting to do what you wanted anyway. <laughs> submission only happens when their will contradicts your will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a really great lesson to learn, but it's not one that you learn in the classroom. Really. No, yeah. no. So I love... I love that there's ESST. Like, I'm from Edinburgh. I I had to go to Toronto because there wasn't anything like that. Mm-hmm. You had to come to Nashville because there wasn't anything like that. So talk to me about ESST. So, so anybody who's in Scotland, anybody who's in, in Edinburgh, or I guess further afield, yeah. talk to me, when when does that school start and, and what does it look like and how does it run? It um, starts in September and it finishes in May. So when uh, I go back, to Scotland, we will be graduating our students from this year. Wonderful. It runs every second Saturday, basically. So two Saturdays a month. Yeah. And then one Wednesday night a month. Great. Yeah. And so do you have people from you know just Edinburgh or do you have people from further afield? Yeah, we have people from Edinburgh. We have people from, we've had people from the borders, from Fife, from Glasgow, from Aberdeen. Whoa. Coming down to the school. Yeah. Um, and this year, uh, we have someone coming up from... England from Essex, who's relocating to Edinburgh to do the school. I love that. I know. That's the same it's hunger amazing. that prompted you to move from one country to another. Right. right. So I think um, I mean, my greatest joy with ESST is just seeing, I mean, it's the same as you guys, you've seen the transformation in students' lives. Sure. From the beginning to the end, you know, and reading in particular second year applications come in and they talk about what's happened for them in first year or they're, they're sharing a testimony of what happened to them through the year. And you read it or you hear it and you, you know, something in your heart goes, oh, that's, that's why I do this. That's why I do what I do. That's why I get up. I get, you know, I get up and leave the house at 7.30 on a Saturday morning on my day off, you know, to come and spend all day there um, and work hard and teach and do sound and do all the, you know, the little things. It thrills my heart to see people beginning to understand the goodness of their Heavenly Father. Mm. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's the, the best it's job the best. in the world. It is the best. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes for anybody who's listening who would like more information about ESST. I'll, I'll put a link to your website. Since you've gone back and you live in Scotland, I can't help but notice that it seems like you've come back every year for a refresher. Is that is that completely true? Mm-hmm. Sometimes twice a year. Sometimes twice <laughs> a year. I came back twice in the first year, but yeah, yeah usually once a year. And talk to him about stepping back into grace in our culture. What's that like? Because you you bring people with you. That's what I love. <laughs> this is how this is how the kingdom works. You know, remember the woman at the well, and the Lord ministers to her, and then she goes to the village or village and says, "Come see a man who who told me everything I ever did." And you know, many people come back, and so I've noticed that about you that you've you've come here, been changed, gone back. People have noticed. 
kind of like I went away, you noticed a change in me and you came and found out what happened. And now I'm noticing the same thing happened with you. Like this year you brought four other people all the way from Scotland. I mean, I don't think you brought them. They wanted to come. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about your 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 yearly pilgrimage, uh, so to speak, to Grace Center. What's that about? Well, on one hand, it's purely selfish. <laughs> you can't you know, get Chick-fil-A in Scotland. Right. You can't get Chick-fil-A and honey roasted barbecue sauce. So I love coming back. I mean, this is this is a place where I experienced the greatest transformation in my life. And I had the most wonderful two years. So coming back here is not is not a sacrifice. I, I'd love to come back. And so and when I come back and step into Grace Center Culture, it just it just feels like coming home, you know? It's my second home. I just walk straight back in. People still know me. Um and and still welcome me, and so it's, you really it's are loved a, and celebrated I, here. Yeah, I love I it. Don't completely get it, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It's <laughs> astonishing. <laughs> but it's it's well, it's great. You know, it's it's hugely honouring. It's a great place for my for me to come and just get get my love tank refilled and yeah. and my spiritual tank refilled. You know, I work full time for the church now, and so I'm pretty much on. All the time? All the time. Well, every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so I don't get to just uh, sit back or stand in worship and just just worship and rest in, in that and place. And no responsibility. Always, no, there's always responsibility. So, yeah, so I, I love to come here and just soak up the presence of God in worship in particular. And um, I love it. Well, we love when you come, Quinn. In terms of like bringing other people, I had some prophetic words when I left in 2014 about... About a bridge, about being a bridge, about being a bridge, about bringing people across a bridge. I don't know. I can't remember them exactly, but I knew there was a bridge involved between <laughs> Edinburgh and Nashville. And um, I haven't, so I initially, I early on I brought a couple of friends over and they've kept coming back. But the, just this recently, this last few months, I felt like the Lord was putting it on my heart to extend that a bit more. And this part of me doesn't want to because it's part of me, you know, this is my my place, you know, that like for me it's like a place where I can go. I was going to say not be known, but actually there's so many people here who know me, but it, you know what I mean? It's just a place where I can go away from home. Right. Be myself, be be whoever, you know. Just so that's lovely. So in some ways it'd be nice and tempting to keep it to myself, but uh, but there was part of me was like, you know what, the Lord I think was speaking to me and just saying you're sitting on a an incredible gold mine like yeah this is a great place and there's a lot of people you know who could benefit from coming here now they don't have to and me being me i'm not i'm not a hugely high influencer so i'm not going to bully anyone into coming over but when i um so i i just felt like the lord was encouraging me to open it up as an option for more people to come so had another couple come over this year which is exciting and it's just a thrill for me to see other people come over and experience the same place the same love, the same uh, presence of God, the same the same experience that I had, really. Um, and it, yeah, I love it. I love it. As we close, my my thought to you is: what encouragement would you give to somebody who's listening to this, and they're wanting more, they don't know how to get it, and perhaps their path to getting more isn't a school, but but whatever it is, where they're feeling like there's there's a burning bush that they're going to go over and see what this is. You know, that, that that whole thing, like you saw a video and you're like, I wonder what that is. What encouragement would you give to people who are feeling like over there, there's an echo of something more? What, what's your encouragement to them? I think my encouragement to them would be to, to push at the doors. Um, and just, if you, if you go after it and you go after it with your heart, then he will reward you. And he, he loves to um, feed the hungry. And those who are hungry for him will get more of, of him, you know. Um, you know, seek me, uh, and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart, he says. And so I would say, don't let your skepticism prevent you from looking for more. And the sort of watchword that I worked by when I when I moved over here was to, I mean, I trusted you guys because I knew you a bit. Right. But I made a conscious decision to just, to err on the side of belief. Whoa. That's a great line. I'm okay. tweeting that later. Okay. <laughs> well, my whole life, I erred on the side of caution. Oh, and Quinn. Mistrust and cynicism, you know, because I was afraid of getting it wrong. Like you, your own testimony, you know, you're kind of afraid of being deceived. Yeah. And then I decided 
you know what? If I trust that my Heavenly Father really is good, or I, I have even the suspicion that he is good, I am going to just try this. Because I've tried the other way my whole life, and it hasn't really got me where I wanted to. Or I, I'm not experiencing life in all its fullness. Oh, Quinn. And so Preach it. I decided, I decided to err on the side of belief rather than unbelief, of, of faith rather than doubt. And that, and when your father sees that, he, he just loves to open his hand and bless you with the good things that he has for you. What a treasure. That is an amazing piece of revelation. I'm going to give you credit for twice, and then I'm just going to start proclaiming as my own. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn, it's been a joy, not just to have you on the podcast and hear some of your story and, and hear a lot of the story from your perspective, because I was just... You know, I had a good sense, but it's it's lovely hearing from your perspective. But also, I haven't known you for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I love that. I love that I've got friendships that go back 20 years, and we've got shared experiences, not just in America, but in Scotland, and both of our journeys with the Lord. Do you remember that time we went to the Derek Prince conference, and I screamed my head <laughs> off? <laughs> yeah, I remember it very well. <laughs> but then we've got this amazing, rich history to draw from. And every time you come back to America, we, we, me and AJ, but also our whole community, love seeing you. And, and again, thank you for giving up some of your afternoon to just come and wax lyrical and take a, a walk down memory lane with me. And I hope everybody who's listening has been super encouraged by this. Um, I'll put a link to all of Quinn's uh, social media information on uh, the show notes. So if you want to get connected with Quinn uh, on Twitter, if you want him to correct your spelling, he'd only be too happy to do that. It's a reflex for him. And uh, But thank you again, Quinn, for being here. We love you. Thank you so much. It's been a huge honor. Thank you. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games, paleo donuts and the kindness of God, the things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee They are just like you and me Alan and AJ Keeping up with the Joneses Keeping up with the Joneses Sharing their life experiences Keeping up with the Joneses Keeping up with the Joneses They talk about faith in God And everything under the sun If you are a human being There's something here for everyone